Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 218 of the GDPR Weekly Show, the number one GDPR podcast worldwide. And coming up in this week's episode, we have news in the UK. Ministers have been ordered to release secret files on the finances of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, who of course sadly passed away several weeks ago. We then travel to Scotland, where East Renfrewshire Leisure have heard a daily breach. And we remain in Scotland, a Taith Ness man has called for mediation after data breaches at NHS Highland. We then travel to the USA, where the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has had a data breach. And then we remain in the USA, following the T-Mobile data breach, which we've mentioned a number of times here on the GDPR Weekly Show, a compensation claim site has finally been established to enable victims to submit their claims. Remain in the USA and 2K have had a data breach. And then to Australia where Dialog have had a data breach. And this is interesting because Dialog are a subsidiary of the same company as Optus, who we've mentioned several times recently here on the GPL Weekly Show. We then travel to Arizona where the city of Tucson has had a data breach. And then we travel to Philadelphia where General Electric have agreed a settlement after a data breach in 2020. We then travel to Latin America, where a number of Latin American governments have been subject to cyber attacks, including the governments of Colombia, Chile, Peru, El Salvador and Mexico. We then return to Australia, where Optus is now facing multiple investigations after their data breach. And then to New York, where Zoe Top and Shane have been fined after a data breach. And then we travel to Brussels, where we have news that the EDPB is attempting to restrict Europol's data retention. And then finally this week, we only news that at long last, a pan-European certification scheme called Europrivacy has been approved by the EDPB. There are still 30 days for people to raise objections to the approval, and we don't yet quite have the detail on how the Europrivacy certificate is going to work, but we will bring you regular updates on that right here on GDPR Week Show. So as always, a range of articles for you this week. We hope you find the information in the articles useful and informative. Should you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. Wished it was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR Made Simple. Available now on Amazon. If you're in the UK or even across Europe, you can't have missed the news around the UK government this week. And it looks like it has another issue to address too, because ministers could face contempt of court proceedings unless they respond to a request for documents that could reveal how the late Queen, Queen Elizabeth II, concealed part of her private wealth from the public. The ICO, the Information Commissioner, has threatened legal action against the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, the BEIS, which has stonewalled the request for the last two years. It has now given the Department until the end of October to respond to the Freedom of Information request or the Department to Trace Court Action. The documents may detail how the late monarch used a secretive financial facility to hide from the public the shares in commercial companies that she owned, along with the value of those shares. The size of her personal fortune, including her investments, has never been disclosed to the public. Estimates readily speculated that it could amount to hundreds of millions of pounds. Last year, the Guardian newspaper revealed how the Queen successfully lobbied the government to alter proposed legislation to prevent their shareholdings from being disclosed to the public. As a result of her lobbying in the 1970s, the government created a state-backed shell company called the Bank of England Nominees, which appears to have kept secret the Queen's private shareholdings investments for more than three decades. Documents obtained by the Guardian newspaper show that no other members of the royal family were able to use the same company to conceal their investments in companies. 
The identities of the other Windsors, along with the Stavridae shareholdings, are also unknown. In 1973, the Queen dispatched her private lawyer to lobby the government to change a proposed law that would allow the public to establish who owned shares in specific companies. Her lawyer argued that the disclosure of her shareholdings would be embarrassing. A special exemption was inserted into proposed law, according to an internal Whitehall document written in 2011, to avoid a situation where, for example, ownership of shares by members of the royal family should become widely known. The Shell Company, operated by senior individuals at the Bank of England, was set up in 1977 to hold royal investments, according to the document. This led all relevant trustees and investment managers and certain members of the royal family were granted an exemption from the requirements to disclose an interest in the company's shares, the document added. The Shell Company's directors were required to send annual reports to the government listing the identity for those of whom it holds securities and provided that it holds securities to two or more people the total value of those securities. In 2020, the Guardian submitted a Freedom of Information request to BEIS for copies of these annual reports. The Department has failed to respond, even though public bodies are required to process a request under the Freedom of Information Act within 20 working days. Now, the Information Commission has ruled that the Department has broken the rules of the Freedom of Information Act. The watchdog ordered the Department to deal with the request, warning that it would be taken to court if it failed to act before 31st of October. The court has the power to rule that the Department had committed a contempt of court. BEIS said it would be responding in compliance with the deadline. Bank of England nominees appears to have kept secret investments of the royal family until at least 2011. The Whitehall document from that year stated these arrangements have now lapsed and the palace is clear that there is no wish for them to be reinstated. The company was wound up five years ago. It is unclear why the exemption was ended or what arrangements to keep secret royal investments replaced it. If we get any update on this from BEIS or indeed from the ICO or the Guardian newspaper, we will just bring it to you right here on the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. An apology has been issued to hundreds of parents after an email blunder by alleged chiefs in East Renfrewshire in Scotland led to a data protection breach. Bosses at East Renfrewshire Culture and Leisure have blamed human error for the breach. We saw the email address of more than 400 residents being made public. An employee had emailed one mum to ask if she was still interested in booking swimming lessons for her young son, but mistakenly copied in around 430 other people. It meant they could all see each other's email addresses. One parent said she was shocked to be sent the contact details of so many others. My son has been on a waiting list for swimming lessons in East Renfrewshire, added the 35-year-old mum, who asked not to be named. I shouldn't have been sent an email with 400-odd other people's personal details, and clearly they can see mine too. This looks like a massive data breach to me, other than the email chain that raised the same point. It's concerning how quickly your data can be shared by what I assume is human error. The mum says she's been waiting months to get swimming lessons arranged for her children. ERCL is a charity with more than 400 employees that delivers sport, leisure, arts and culture services across East Renfrewshire. It operates 10 libraries, 4 sports centres with gyms and pools, a 330-seat theatre and 18 community hubs. As well as delivering the likes of swimming lessons, ERCL offers sports coaching, an active schools programme, art classes and events and library and literacy programmes, ranging from book bug sessions to visits by authors. A spokeswoman for ERCL said further training will be provided to staff in an effort to avoid a repeat of the email blunder. She said, as a result of human error, an email was sent to a group of customers regarding swimming lessons on Friday, where email addresses were not blind copied. We apologise for the error and we're taking this matter very seriously. We've contacted those customers and apologise to those affected. The individual and our employees will receive additional training on engaging with customers in future. And we would just add that one of the most common breaches we see is people sending emails with everybody else's email open to view. Please don't do it. 
unless you have a good reason to do so, then use BCC instead. It keeps them all hidden. Everyone still gets the emails. That's fine. But you can't see everybody else's emails. And that's particularly true if you're sending emails outside of your own organisation or company. Inside your own organisation or company, yeah, fine. Put all your colleagues' email addresses in the CC because that's fine. You want to know who else in your company has seen what you're sending. But don't do it if you're sending emails externally because it's just so easy to create a breach, which then creates a lot of work for you to sort out. To Tasteness in Scotland now, and the Tasteness man has called for a mediation meeting with NHS Highland boss Pam Dujet over what he claims are data breaches by the health authority. Peter Todd from Thurso has referred his complaints to the Information Commissioner and the Scottish Public Services Ombudsman, but asked for a meeting with the Chief Executive and the Clinical Director for Mental Health to try and find a constructive way forward for both parties. He is unhappy with the way his medical files have been dealt with and pointed out that he has received information about other patients in the documents. The information committed investigation into three data breaches is ongoing. I refer the data breaches to the Ombudsman, along with a complaint about a senior manager for attempting to sweep the matter under the carpet. Patients' personal information should not be discharged every Tom, Dick and Harry, Mr Todd said. Multiple data breaches have happened, that which some patients still haven't been informed about. My file had to be audited several times to make sure it doesn't contain duplicate copies of medical correspondence and was in order. The unprofessional behaviour of certain managers has been shocking, and yet another example of the bullying culture which is still rife. While I welcome the ongoing assistance of the Information Commissioner and certainly elected representatives, I call on Chief Executive Pam Dudek, to stop playing hide-and-seek with me and arrange a mediation meeting, added Mr Todd. Mr Todd claimed there was to be an audit of mental health files in NHS Highland in the next six months and welcomed the move. He said managers only have themselves to blame for this massive audit which is now going to take place. The system is supposed to make sure files are in dual working order and confidentiality is maintained. NHS Highland said a request for a mediation meeting has been sent to Chief Executive's Office and Senior Clinicians for their consideration. Earlier this year, Tatenest Councillor Matthew Rees expressed his concern about the bizarre and very unusual circumstances which led to Mr Todd receiving personal details about other patients and staff. Matthew Rees, a Thursday and Northwest Tatenest Highland Councillor, contacted Mrs Dudek to find out why it had happened. She told him the health authority is taking the claims very seriously. Mr Rees acknowledged that data protection legislation is complicated but said the matter is highly concerning for obvious reasons. He said it is bizarre and very unusual for someone to get three separate sets of information that should not have been sent to them. I've asked the Chief Executive questions to help me understand what has happened. If we get any update, either from Mr Todd or indeed from NHS Highland, then we will bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com To America now, and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, otherwise known as the Mormon Church, revealed yesterday that it was the target of a cyber attack in March 2022 that led to the theft of personal data. The church said it had detected unauthorised activity on 23rd of March in certain computer systems that impacted the personal data of some of its members, employees, contractors and friends. The personal data involved in the breach was related to those who had either registered online accounts with the church or had their personal information stored by the organisation because they were employed by it. This included usernames, membership record numbers, full names, gender, email addresses, birth dates, mailing addresses, phone numbers and preferred language. The affected data didn't include donation history or any banking information associated with online donations, the church said. 
We immediately notified federal law enforcement authorities in the United States and were asked to keep the incident confidential to protect the integrity of the investigation, said the church. This instruction was lifted on 12 October 2022 and we are now notifying affected individuals. It added that the US federal law enforcement authorities suspect the intrusion was part of a pattern of state-sponsored cyber attacks aimed at organisations and governments around the world that are not intended to cause harm to individuals. Since the breach was discovered, the church said it has been working with US federal law enforcement authorities and third-party cybersecurity experts to establish the origin, nature and scope of the incident and to mitigate possible ramifications. The church added that law enforcement authorities believe the risk of the stolen information being used to harm individuals is low. The monitoring efforts from the authorities haven't identified any attempts of harmful use so far. Protecting the confidential information of our members, employees, contractors and friends is critical, the church added. We continue to do all that we can to ensure such information is safeguarded. It advised those who have been affected to remain vigilant about the security of their personal data by monitoring personal accounts, frequently changing their passwords, selecting strong and different passwords for every account and taking action on any suspicious activity. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR Made Simple. Available now on Amazon. If you're a regular listener to GDPR Weekly Show, then you'll have heard us mention about the T-Mobile data breach. Indeed, we've mentioned it in episodes 125, 158, 159, 176, 192 and 206. Well, we're pleased to say that the mechanism for people to claim compensation who are affected by the data breach is now firmly in place and a special website has been set up just for that purpose. And you can find the website at t-mobilesettlement.com. You can also contact them by phone on 1-833-512-2134 or you can write to them at T-Mobile Data Breach Settlement, care of Troll Settlement Administration, LLC, P.O. Box, 225391 New York NY 10150-5391 You have until January the 20th 2023 to submit your claim however I wouldn't get too overexcited as somebody has done the maths and based on the amount which T-Mobile has been ordered to pay by the court each claimant can expect to receive around $25 in compensation you're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Following a data breach last month, 2K has now confirmed that some personal data has been recorded. Hackers were able to gain access to the company's support desk impersonating official communication. The publisher is now emailing those affected, confirming that some personal data was recorded, but there's no indication that financial information has been compromised. The unauthorised third party accessed and copied some personal data that was recorded about you when you contacted us for support, including your email address, help desk ID number, gamer tag and console details, said the email. There's no indication that any of your financial information or passwords held by our systems was compromised. It continues, however, out of an abundance of caution, we encourage all of our players to secure their accounts by resetting their passwords and enabling multi-factor authentication if they've not already done so. 2K advises anyone who has clicked the malicious link sent to players to restart their computer and use cybersecurity best practices to reset passwords, use multi-factor authentication and update their antivirus software. 2K support portal went offline following the incident to investigate. It is now back online and safe to interact with, the company says. In episodes 215 and 216 of GDPR, which we show, we mentioned about a data breach at Australian telecoms operator Optus. Well, this week, telecommunications giant Singtel, who own Optus, have confirmed that another of its Australian subsidiaries, Consulting Unit Dialogue, 
was the victim of the same hack. In a statement to the Singapore Stock Exchange on Monday, Singtel said Dialog, which was acquired by Singtel's subsidiary NCS in April, confirmed the cybersecurity incident in which an unauthorised third party may have accessed company data on Saturday, September 10, 2022. The breach potentially affected fewer than 20 clients and 1,000 current Dialog employees, as well as former employees. We detected unauthorised access on our servers, which were then shut down as a preventive measure. Within two business days, our servers were restored and fully operational, Dialog said. We contracted a leading cybersecurity specialist to work with our IT team to undertake a deep forensic investigation and continuous monitoring of the dark web. Our ongoing investigations show no evidence of unauthorised downloading of data. Despite being a subsidiary, Singtel clarified dialogue systems are completely independent from NCS, Optus and Singtel's own infrastructure. There's no evidence of any link between this incident and the recent event experienced by Optus, the tech giant said. Also in Australia, the company's largest telecom firm, Telstra, revealed last week that it too had been hit by a small data breach caused by the hacking of one of its third-party suppliers. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com To Arizona now, and the city of Tucson has revealed a data breach affecting the personal information of more than 123,000 individuals. As revealed in a notice data breach sent to those affected, an attacker breached the city's network and exfiltrated an undisclosed number of files containing sensitive information. The threat actors had access to the network between May the 17th and May the 31st, 2022, and might have access to stolen documents containing the information of 123,513 individuals. On May the 29th, 2022, the city learned of suspicious activity involving a user's network account credentials, the data breach notification says. On August the 4th, 2022, the city learned that certain files may have been copied and taken from the city's network. The city began notifying potentially impacted individuals on September 23rd that among the sensitive personal information exposed during the incident, the attacker could have accessed the affected individuals' names and social security numbers. On September 12th, this review concluded, and the review determined that the information issue included certain personal information, the city revealed in a statement on its website. The information within the potentially affected files include certain individuals' names, social security numbers, driver's license or state identification numbers, and passport numbers. Notification letters have been sent to affected individuals also revealed that no evidence was found that this personal information has been misused up to now. Those impacted by data breach have advised to monitor their credit reports for any suspicious activity that should hint at incidents of identity theft and fraud involving their personal information. The city has provided impacted individuals with 12 months of free access to Experian, credit monitoring and identity protection services, as well as guidance on defending against identity theft. The city treats the security of information in its possession as an utmost priority and apologises for any inconvenience this event may cause, the breach notification letters say. As part of its ongoing commitment to security information within its care, the city is reviewing its existing policies and procedures regarding cybersecurity and evaluating additional measures and safeguards to protect against this type of event in the future. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR Made Simple. Available now on Amazon. Remaining in the USA and General Electric has agreed to a class action settlement to resolve claims it failed to prevent a 2020 data breach. The settlement benefits consumers who received an notification from General Electric warning them their information may have been compromised in a February 2020 data breach. In March 2020, General Electric announced its current and former employees may have had their information stolen through a data breach of one of GE's third-party providers, Canon Business Process Services. The breach, which occurred in early February 2020, reportedly compromised sensitive information such as names, addresses, social security numbers, driver's license information, bank account numbers, passport data, birth dates and more. 
General Electric Employees and Beneficiaries took lead action against the company in August 2020, arguing that General Electric and Tannen could have prevented the breach with reasonable cybersecurity measures. Plaintiffs in the case note that the breach was likely the result of elementary strategies such as phishing emails and keyboard logging malware. One thing is clear, the data breach could have been avoided through basic security measures, including multi-factor authentication and user security training, the data breach class action lawsuit contends. The general election data breach class action contends that plaintiffs and other consumers now face a heightened risk of fraud and any theft and other harm. This would remain for the indefinite future, the plaintiffs argue. General Electric and Tannen haven't admitted any wrongdoing but agreed to a class action lawsuit to resolve these allegations. The settlement agreement does not disclose the total settlement amount. Under the terms of General Electric settlement, class members can receive reimbursement for lost time and out-of-pocket expenses. Class members may claim up to four hours of lost time at a rate of $18 per hour for a total maximum lost time payment of $72. Out-of-pocket expenses covered by the settlement include unreimbursed fraudulent charges, professional fees, credit repair services, credit freeze costs and other miscellaneous expenses. Combined compensation for lost time and out-of-pocket expenses is capped at $3,500 per class member. All class members are eligible for 18 months of free credit monitoring through financial shield services, even if they didn't experience lost time or any out-of-pocket expenses. The deadline for exclusion and objections is November 22, 2022. The final approval hearing for the General Electric Settlement is scheduled for February 22, 2023. In order to receive settlement benefits, class members must submit a valid claim form by December 22, 2022. Those affected can write to the claims administrator at ge slash canon settlement, rg slash two claims administration, LLC, P.O. Box 59479, Philadelphia, PA 19102 9479, or you can email them at gecbpssettlement at rg2claims.com. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Colombia now, and identities of secret agents working for the Australian Federal Police have been exposed after hackers leaked documents stolen from the Colombian government. The leak comes from an hacktivist group called Guacamaya and includes more than five terabytes of classified data, including emails, documents, and methods AFP agents were using to stop drug cartels from running their business in Australia. Details exposed this way are from 35 AFP operations, some of them still active, and also include surveillance reports from agents, phone tap recordings, and payroll data for Colombian officers. The AFP is not the only law enforcement agency collaborating with the Colombian government, so police agencies from other countries are also likely to be affected. AFP confirmed the exposure to the Sydney Morning Herald, sharing the following statement. The AFP is concerned about possible breaches of operational security as a consequence of this data compromise. The AFP is working with our partners in impacted regions to mitigate any potential threats to the safety of people or ongoing investigations. The hacktivist group, Guacamaya, describes itself as a group fighting against repressive and corrupt regimes in Latin America. In September, the group announced they had victimised multiple Latin American state, military and law enforcement agencies and shared the data with a whistleblower news site. The site shared data samples with the wider public and provided the entire selection only to journalists. However, there is nowhere to verify if the hackers distributed the leak to any other parties. Among the victims are the Chilean Armed Forces, the Peruvian Army, the Joint Command of the Armed Forces of Peru, the Armed Forces of El Salvador, the National Civil Police of El Salvador, the Secretariat of National Defence of Mexico and the General Command of the Military Forces of Colombia. 
The hack that compromised AFP targeted the offices of the Attorney General of Colombia, an AFP partner that enabled carrying out undercover operations in Australia to fight drug trafficking and importation channels in the country. Earlier in this episode, we mentioned about Optus and Dialogue, and it's now been revealed that Optus will be probed by two Australian regulators over the circumstances that led to the company's massive data breach that exposed the personal information of millions of customers last month. The Australian Communications and Media Authority, ACMA, and the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner, OAIC, announced separate but coordinated investigations on Tuesday into Optus. The ACMA investigation will focus on whether Optus is meeting its obligations as a telecommunications company regarding the acquisition, authentication, retention, disposal and protection of personal information and requirements to provide fraud mitigation protection. The OAIC investigation will look at whether Optus took reasonable steps to protect its customers' personal information. Optus could face fines of up to $2.2 million for each privacy contravention if the OAIC decides to take companies to court. Neither agency has indicated when the investigation will be completed, but ACMA said it would take some time to complete. ACMA's chair, Narida O'Loughlin, said she looked forward to Optus's full cooperation. When customers entrust their personal information to their telecommunications provider, they rightly expect that information will be properly safeguarded. Failure to do this has significant consequences for all involved, she said. A spokesperson for Optus said the company was committed to working with the regulators and responding to the impacts of the breach. It's now nearly three weeks since Optus revealed the personal details of its 10 million customers were exposed in the data breach, which included identity document numbers such as passport, license and Medicare numbers for hundreds of thousands of Australians. The regulatory investigations will come in addition to the external review being conducted by Deloitte for Optus. However, the regulatory investigations will be made public. The Australian Federal Police is also running two concurrent investigations into who obtained and attempted to sell the data and protection for the 10,200 customers who had their records posted online last week. A consumer watchdog has also revealed that it has been flooded with Optus-related scam complaints in the wake of the data breach. The head of the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission said the regulated scam team had received about 600 complaints every day relating to the breach. The chair of the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, Gina Cass Gottlieb, said many scammers were taking advantage of the large-scale data breach and posing as a telecommunications agent or Equifax Protect, the credit reporting agency, tasked with supporting victims of the breach to swindle customers out of money. She told a parliamentary committee that people were confused about the legitimacy of any communications. So far, Cash Gottlieb said there had only been a few instances of fraudsters successfully scamming victims out of money by pretending to be from Optus. What we can see is it's only a small number of people who become a victim of the scam, but many are alert to it, and most of all confused and anxious, he said. If we get any further update on this from any of the Australian bodies, or indeed from Optus themselves, we will transmit to you in the next wave episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To New York now, and Zoe Top, the holding company behind retailing giants Ronwe and Shane, has been fined $1.9 million after it failed to properly inform customers of a data breach that reportedly affected millions of users. According to a notice from New York's Attorney General's office this week, the 2018 data breach saw Zoetop failing to secure customers' data, not adequately informing customers of it, and trying to keep the real impact of the leak quiet. The 2018 hack saw credit cards and personal information theft, including names, emails and hashed passwords. The data breach reportedly affected 39 million Shane and 7 million wrong accounts, more than 800,000 of which belonged to people in New York. 
saying that Romwe's weak digital security measures made it easy for hackers to shoplift consumers' personal data, New York Attorney General Letitia James said. They must button up their cyber security measures to protect consumers from fraud and identity thefts. This agreement should send a clear warning to companies that they must strengthen their digital security measures and be transparent with consumers. Anything less will not be tolerated. More generally, risks connected to an organisation not disclosing that it's been breached are substantial. And of companies may also suffer reputational and trust risks for not disclosing a data breach. If customers find out their data was stolen and the company tried to hide the fact, then they'll be much less likely to use that company in the future. If we get any statement from Zoe Top, we will just bring to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR Made Simple. Available now on Amazon. Way back in episode 178, we brought you news of data problems at Europol, the pan-European policing agency. Uh, this week, the EDPB, the EU State Protection Watchdog, has called for rules effectively legalising the irresponsible handling of data by Europol to be scrapped. The fresh complaints come months after European Data Protection Supervisor, the EDPS, ordered the law enforcement agency to delete a huge cache of personal information. It deemed this practice to be a violation of GDPR and indeed of human rights. Following the EDPS public allegations of data mishandling made in January, the Court of Justice of the European Union, CJEU, introduced two new provisions to the 2016 Europol regulation that aim to, according to the EDPS, legalise retroactively Europol's data practices. Article 74A and 74B of the amended Europol regulation, the provisions most recently added and the ones contested by the EDPS, undermine the watchdog's powers, it said. The EDPS had to apply for an annulment of Article 74A and 74B of the amended Europol regulation for two reasons, the EDPS said. Firstly, to protect legal certainty for individuals in the highly sensitive field of law enforcement where the process in personal data implies severe risk to data subjects. Secondly, to make sure that the EU legislators cannot unduly move the goalposts in the area of privacy and data protection where the independent character of the exercise of a supervisory authority's enforcement powers requires legal certainty of the rules being enforced. Added to the Europol regulation in June 2022, the provisions specifically relate to Europol's retention of data on individuals with no proven link to criminal activity. Europol is alleged to be holding on to data belonging to individuals far longer than current regulations allow it to. The EDPS January complaint revealed that Europol was sitting on around 4 terabytes of data on at least 250,000 individuals said to be linked with crime. This was collected over a period of six years from a variety of European national law enforcement authorities. The EU State of Watchdog aimed to impose rules on Europol that the data collected on people should be assessed within six months, and then if no criminal link was found, then the data should be erased in a timely manner. Specifically, supervising authorities sought to enforce data subject categorisation for each individual whose data was collected, a stipulation of the original Europol regulation. Such categorisation seeks to clearly define why a given individual is having their data retained, be it because they're suspected of committing a crime, convicted of a crime, or perhaps they're a suspected witness of a crime. Privacy experts have expressed sympathy for Europol given the large amount of data it's required to triage, but also they said the amount of data hold would be tantamount to mass surveillance in the eyes of some people. The EDPS said the provisions established a worrying precedent that threatens the independence of the supervising authority and undermines legal certainty for everyone's personal data. The situation raises debate around individuals' right to privacy against the need for national security, one that emerges in so many areas of technology such as consumers' access to end-to-end encrypted messaging services. 
It's difficult to arrive at an absolute conclusion on such matters given the strength of cases for both sides. Some would argue, such as heads of state, that national security must take precedent over individuals' privacy. Others would argue that the individual's privacy should be paramount. We will watch the progress of this with interest and bring updates to you right here on the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. One thing that's been missing since the inception of GDPR has been any form of certification which is going to be accepted right across the EU. And this week, the EDPB has sought to address that by ratifying the Euro Privacy Certificate. Now, of course, here in the UK, we had Brexit and we don't have EU GDPR anymore. We have UK GDPR. And whether the UK ICO will also adopt the Euro Privacy Certificate remains to be seen. So to do a bit of background to this, in accordance with Article 42, Paragraph 5 of GDPR and the guidelines, Euro Privacy was drafted by the European Centre for Certification and Privacy, the scheme owner. The Supervisory Authority of Luxembourg has submitted the Europe Criteria of Certification to the EDPB for approval pursuant to Article 64, Paragraph 2 of GDPR on the 28th of September 2022. A decision on completeness of the file was taken on the 28th of September 2022. The Europe Privacy Certification Mechanism is not a certification according to Article 46.2f of GDPR meant for international transfers of personal data and therefore does not provide appropriate safeguards within the framework of transfers of personal data to third countries or international organisations under terms referred to in letter F of Article 46, paragraph 2. Any transfer of personal data to a third country or international organisation shall take place only as the provisions of Chapter 5 of GDPR are respected. By way of conclusion, the EDPB considers that Europe privacy criteria of certification are consistent with GDPR and approves them pursuant to the task of the board defined in Article 70, Paragraph 1, Subparagraph O of the GDPR, resulting in a common certification European Data Protection Seal. The EDPB will register the Europe privacy certification mechanism in the public register of certification mechanisms and data protection seals and marks pursuant to Article 42, Paragraph 8. This opinion is addressed to the Luxembourg Supervisor Authority and will be made public pursuant to Article 64, Paragraph 5, Subparagraph B of GDPR. What does all that mean? It means in reality that certification will become acceptable right across Europe 30 days from the European Data Protection Board's judgment. When we've seen the full details of the Europe Privacy Scheme, we will of course bring them to you right here on the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. We hope that you've enjoyed this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show and that you found the information useful and informative. We do really appreciate your feedback, so please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com with any comments you might have about the articles we've raised this week or indeed any suggestions you might have for improvements to the show. The GDPR Weekly Show is a insurance production. Please be advised that any advice given during the show is general in nature and should not be taken as specific legal advice. You should always seek legal advice according to your own specific circumstances. Until next time, bye-bye.